Blog Talk Radio. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 uh, Miami, uh, uh, South Beach, bringing the heat, uh, <laughs> can y'all feel that, can y'all feel that, jig it out, uh, here I am in the place where I come let go In Miami, the base and the sunset low Every day like a Mardi Gras Everybody party all day, no work, all play, okay? So we sip a little something, leave the rest to spill Me and Charlie at the bar, running up a high bill Nothing less than ill, when we dress to kill Every time the ladies pass, they be like Can y'all feel me? All ages and races, real sweet faces Every different nation, Spanish, Haitian, Indian, Jamaican Black, white, Cuban, or Asian I only came for two days of playing, but every time I come, I always wind up staying. This the type of town I can spend a few days in Miami, the city that keeps the roof blazing. Feel a drip on the strip. It's a trip. Ladies have dress, full of your quip, and they be screaming out. So I'm thinking I'ma scoop me something hot in this south summer rain game melting pot. Hottest club in the city, and it's right on the beach. Temperature, get the yard, uh, it's about to reach 500 degrees in the Caribbean seas with the hot mommies screaming. Every time I come to town, they be spotting me in the drop Bentley, ain't no stopping me. So cash in your dough and flow to this fashion show, pound for pound anywhere you go. Yo, ain't no city in the world like this. And if you ask how I know, I got to plead the fact. But on the snakes, Miami bringing heat for real. Y'all don't understand. I never seen so many Dominican women with cinnamon tan. Mira, this is the plan. Take a walk on the beach, draw a heart in the sand. Give me your hand. Damn, you look sexy. Let's go to my yacht in the West Keys. Ride my jet skis, lounge under the palm trees. Cause you gotta have cheese for the summer house. Keep on South Beach. Water so clear, you can see to the bottom. Hundred thousand dollar car, everybody got them. Ain't no surprise in the club to see on Miami, my second home. happens once a year, and it only happens at Homestead Miami Speedway. The world will be watching as dreams are made, hopes are crushed, and championships earned. It's Ford Championship Weekend, November 16th to the 18th. Three days of fun for the whole family with live music, tailgating, go-kart racing, and so much more. Plus, it's the only place to witness the crowning of three NASCAR champions. Call 866-409-RACE or go to homesteadmiamispeedway.com for tickets. This is Spencer Boyd, driver of the number 76 Grunt Style Chevy Camaro, and listen to the pit stop with Tim Despain.
Nation. I'm Tim Spain alongside of SpeedWeedDigest.com, Mr. Stephen Wilson. Uh, the way the crow flies, I'm approximately eight miles south of this 2.66-mile monster we call Talladega Super Speedway. And Stephen Wilson is right outside of Richmond Raceway. Stephen, how you doing tonight, brother? Hey, what's up? Oh, nothing much, brother. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I got you this time. All right, 10-4. Uh, yeah, just want to let you know, uh, we had some, uh, I'm going to call them thugs, wanted to come in my workplace here today, and uh, or last night, I uh, don't know how long they stayed in there, they're reviewing the cameras right now, but uh, just to let everybody know, Stephen, I, I had bought a 1,000 flushes for the men's room a while back, and it was down to, there wasn't like 17 flushes left, and hell, they got it too. <laughs> Well, well, you know, maybe they were they're they're trying to figure out this whole, um, you know, uh, you know they can't they can't pay their power bill, so you know they'll come repo some stuff and pawn it so they can pay the power bill. I'm pretty sure it is. I'm pretty sure it's nowhere around here, and I'll I'll rather than tell you on air, I'll tell you later what all they got. They got a bunch of stuff. Anyway, Stephen, I guess probably some of the uh, the most breaking news coming out of NASCAR. Uh, we lost David Pearson yesterday at the age of 83. He won three series premier championships, and uh, I know uh, our good friend Russell Brenham, I had I had texted him earlier, uh, public relations director here at Talladega Super Speedway. I had texted him and said, you know, want to see if he was going to be a little bit busy, and I'd see if he might want to join us. He said, Tim, I just can't do it. Because, you know, uh, uh, Russell actually named his son Pearson. So, you know, Russell and uh, Russell's from South Carolina, too. And it, I, I, Russell and uh David Pearson, they were really, really tight, Stephen. But uh, there's a lot of outpouring from the uh, from the uh, tracks, uh, Bristol, uh, Darlington, uh, my track, Talladega. It seems like at Daytona, Chip Wild down there, it seems like every track owner has sent out a, a, a statement talking about the late, great Silver Fox, brother. Yeah, I mean, D- David Pearson, he only ran three years for – a championship, and he won all three years. It's somebody that had a very limited career in NASCAR statistically when you compare him against uh, a Kelly Arborough or a, uh, a Richard Petty, um, and uh, his statistics uh, were just astronomical in the fact what he what he was able to accomplish, um, only running for the championship three, three different times, winning that three different times. Um, he was... Uh, uh, you know, 105 wins, 113 uh, uh, championships. He's uh, he, he's second in the leaderboard. Um, second in the leaderboard. Yeah, yes, uh, second on the leaderboard with the number of wins in, in, in NASCAR. Um, he's also, um, you know, he him and the Wood Brothers. Uh, there was a statistic put out that they had won uh, like 11 different polls um, consecutively. Uh, in NASCAR's premier series, and nobody's been able to match that 
to this day, and they will probably never match that. Um, they they were they were also um, you know some some of their biggest wins came in the 1976 uh, Daytona 500 where he he experienced mechanical issues and um, uh, uh, well he wrecked he was part of an accident with uh, Richard Petty experienced some mechanical issues at the time limped the car home uh, for uh, about a lap and a half and uh, won the Daytona 500 that year. Uh, in 1976, so this is a this is a driver that had pure talent, um, and he arguably, you, you know, he he, he only had a, a, about five seasons in which he surpassed 70% of all the races. Like I said, uh, the rest of his seasons were were very much limited in the fact that he was only running 30 or 40% of the races. But in the races that he did enter. Um, you know, to nearly 20% of them, he he ran. So that's one in one in five races uh, out of 574 starts. It's about one in five races he would go to victory lane, and about one in five races uh, he would go. He would be sitting on the pole. So he had a career that, while limited, and he only ran for the championship three times, winning it three times, was able to put up some some pretty big numbers in the sport when the sport was running as many as 50 or 60 races a year. And uh, that's what a lot of people don't understand is to say, yes, you know, he, uh, while, while many of his seasons were limited back in those days, most teams were part-time teams. They weren't full-time teams. Like you see now that go to 36 races a year, plus two um, exhibition events. Uh, back then, you know, there was as many as 50 or 60 races a year. They were racing two times a week in most cases. And if you, Petty was one of the few drivers that uh, not only had the funding, but uh, had the the team backing and, and, and the staffing to to go and run these races. Many of these many of these uh, teams, you know, they they didn't make it to all the races. And uh, you know, that was that was part of David Pearson. Uh, he. Uh, he raced everything from Mercury's to Fords to, to to a Dodge that, you know, many of these teams, again, they were part-time, and they only made it to, you know, a handful of races, half the races per year. Um, and, 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 you know, for for many of these teams, they may only be they may only been around for a season or two. And, and these drivers would jump around a lot, and they'd be in a lot of different cars. But, you know, Pearson um, – you know, showed with Petty that, you know, consistency in a team, staying with one team for the longevity of the season rewards you better than, than some of these teams that were running, uh, you know, 30 or 40% of, of the events per year. And I think this was a dynamic shift in NASCAR where uh, you start to see lessening of the schedule where they only race one time per week. You saw more teams starting to put more money and more resources behind running a full schedule. And, uh, you know, it, it was economically more feasible for them to do so, especially when Winston came in and Winston was able to expand the sport beyond, uh, you know, the 1960s. And, uh, you know, they, they, they changed the schedule. They changed the way that everybody ran. And I think, you know, if it weren't for people like Pearson, it wasn't people like Petty and others that – uh, figured out they're running whole seasons that were more and and Winston putting in money and especially with with their with their statistics that they were putting up, you know Petty won 200 races you know, and, and Pearson won 105. I mean those are a lot of races for for people back in the day to win. I mean the competition was just as strong back then 
as it was today, and uh, you you had a more a higher propensity of cars going out mechanically because these literally were stock cars off off a off a, a showroom floor that had been modified to go racing and uh you know um you know the 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 stats and some of these teams that you know were in the 50s they had over 75 i think about 72 75 different cars go to to, to Darlington for the Southern 500 so it was tough competition back then Stephen just to talk a little bit about uh about some of the stuff that he accomplished over his his career in 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 a stock car racer. You know, he uh he was born in Spartanburg, South Carolina, not far from from Darlington. He won three Southern 500s, Stephen, and that back then that was still a run on Labor Day weekend. And you and I, we have been there on Labor Day weekend, and it's hot, damn it. And back then they didn't have nothing like a cool suit, uh, uh, air conditioned thing blowing in their helmet. Or nothing like that. But he won three Southern 500, Stephen, and they didn't have uh, back then. That was one of the one of, one of the greatest tests of endurance for both driver and car. And just talk a little bit about Stephen, just how big a deal that is for a uh, for a driver like that. Not not only David Pearson, but any of the drivers, Petty Yarbrough and all of them. I know they were all uh, tight back then. But running that race there at Darlington was a lot tougher probably back then than it is now. Yeah, I mean these these cars in the first race, like I said at Darlington and Southern 500, there were about 72, 75 cars that showed up to this event and went out there and raced 500 miles around Darlington uh, Raceway. Um, you know the competition just continued to get harder, and as the mechanics came into this, um, you know cars were were shifting away from you know purely stock to stock cars that were pulled off a, 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 a showroom floor and modified. And then from there, you know, we, we started getting into the age of purpose-built race cars around a chassis uh, of something that you may see on, on the showroom floor to today. We've got fully uh, uh, um, constructed bodies, racing machines that are, you know, purpose-built from the ground up, uh, aside from the bumper covers and a few other items on, on the vehicle that, you know, are produced by the manufacturer themselves. Um, for for drivers back then, the Daytona 500, World 600, and, and the uh, Southern 500, uh, these were man versus machine type events. Um, they were long, they were brutal, they were hot. Um, you know, I've I've heard stories in, in early days of the of the Southern 500 that that so many tires were blowing at that racetrack. Teams were going into the infield in the parking lot. And pulling tires off of cars so they could finish the event. Um, so you know that those were the lengths these drivers, these machines, these teams in the tracks were going to to expand the 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 endurance of NASCAR and stock car racing in the South. Um, you know the Indy had the Indy 500 at that time. Uh, open wheel racing, uh, you know, arguably had, you know, that was endurance events for them. That was an endurance event for this open wheel. And stock car racing had its triple crown with the Southern 500, with the World 600, which David Pearson won that on multiple occasions too, and the Daytona 500, which he won in 1976. So, you know, all these drivers that, that you know, today, they, you're right, they have cool suits, they got helmets that 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 clean the air and blow cool air into their helmets um they got fluid uh uh or hydration 
uh, packs within their cars. They have uh, more sophisticated radios. They have more sophisticated uh, electronics. These were purely mechanical machines back then. You may have a window net and roll bar and, you know, polymer glass in the front of the car, uh, um, but but these things were, you know, open-air helmets. Uh, a lot of carbon monoxide back then was an issue with many drivers in these events, which we saw many drivers not only go out by heat, but we went and saw them go out by carbon monoxide poisoning because of the way that the, the you know, they were stripping down the, the exhaust on these cars and running right underneath the feet of the driver and coming back into the vehicle. Um, many drivers were burned from the heat of these. So, you know, the evolution of cars and the man that is behind these cars, not only in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and today, uh, um, we, we still see a lot of that with endurance-style racing where, where we saw Casey Kane. That's a prime example. Casey Kane is somebody that's been in NASCAR for 15-plus years, has raced sprint cars, um, it did Chili Bowl, uh, raced all kinds of endurance-style events. He goes to Darlington Raceway this past year and, and, and has a medical issue with high dehydration into it, and, and that ends his career in NASCAR. Um you know, the, the, you know the, these drivers put up with a lot back in the 70s and 60s and 80s. Um, and for them to put up somebody like Pearson, put up those kinds of numbers, um, just shows just how tough of a person you have to be to, to overcome so many different obstacles, to overcome heat, to overcome the endurance, to overcome carbon monoxide poison and dehydration and uh, just so many different factors within these race cars. But these men and drivers were very tough back then. And not to say that, you know, drivers aren't tough today, but there were some very, very tough drivers back then that, that put up with a lot and, and, and went through a lot to, to win these events. And maybe not always for for the uh, for a, uh, an abundance amount of money. I mean, some of these teams are, you know, would would you know only bring home like twenty thousand dollars on a weekend for a race. And you know, today, you know, twenty thousand dollars isn't even the last place prize money uh, in NASCAR. So you know, comparatively speaking, twenty some thousand dollars back then for winning the World Six Hundred. Uh, or the five, uh, Daytona 500 or something like that. Um, a lot different. They didn't get paid a whole lot. Exactly. And, Steve, I want to read off a statement from Darlington Raceway President Mr. Kerry Tharp on the passing of David Pearson. Darlington Raceway expresses its deepest condolences and sympathies to the family and friends of David Pearson. His record 10 wins at Darlington Raceway put him in a league of his own, his fierce competitiveness and passion for the sport endeared him endured him into the NASCAR faithful. His Hall of Fame career will go down as one of the most prolific in the history of the sport. A native South Carolina, he was a wonderful ambassador for the sport in the Palmetto State. He will be missed. He will be missed and always be remembered. Kerry Tharp. That comes a lot from a man there, Kerry Tharp, too, Steve. Yeah, he is. I mean, native, native South Carolina. You know, he grew up right down the road from uh, Cal Yarborough. These, these, are, these are drivers that, you know, um, grew up in the South, stock car racing, and grew into uh, NASCAR royalty. Um, they became brand names. You know, these are drivers that 
uh, Pearson became a brand name, just like Petty uh, back in the day. Um, Yarborough's, the Wood Brothers, Foyt, um, these are all NASCAR royalty, which shifted the racing sphere from a strictly southern sport to a sport in which people were paying attention outside of it. They started to go and figure out there was more to this sport than than drivers running around on a weekend, um, you know, for, for three or four or 500 miles. Um, they started to figure out that these were real people. These were people that became brands. These were people that, that, that could go and enhance their brands and their entry into uh, corporate America. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what these names did. They, they expanded the sport to, to bring us here today in which, you know, you, you, you went away from your local car dealership or vending machine company, um, you know, sponsoring you nationally recognized brands like Purolator on the side of a of a race car. And the these became uh new avenues of marketing and Pearson and Petty, Yarborough, Foyt, all these guys played a part in that dynamic shift of how not only NASCAR is marketed but how drivers become marketed, how teams become marketed, how the car becomes marketable. So I think, you know, you, you, you've seen this as this evolution, and, and this was just the cusp of where we got to today. And these, these are all drivers that, 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 that put us here today, and not just based on his statistics, or their statistics in racing in general. It's what they did to further the sport as a whole. Exactly, Steve. And that means a lot. Uh, some of this younger generation coming up, they don't they don't understand just how tough it was back in the day. There I go one of them chocolate mire moments again. But yeah, they don't understand just how tough it was back when like you had mentioned earlier in a in a in a statement earlier, uh a lot of these drivers had to actually work a full-time job and also race to make ends meet. And then they sort of seen where, you know, like you said, back in the late 60s, 70s, well, maybe 70s and 80s, we were seeing more and more of the drivers going away from their full-time jobs to actually run full-time in the series to make a living at it. But, um, Stephen, I want to go out. Uh, I hate to keep reading these statements, but I want to read this one because this is – from a good friend, Grant Litch here, President Talladega Super Speedway, his statement on the passing of David Pearson. All of us at Talladega Super Speedway have the family and friends of our good friend David Pearson in our thoughts. Not only was he one of the greatest our sport of NASCAR has ever seen behind the wheel, but he was a character like no other, with his mischievous and joking ways. While he was fun, while he was fun off the track, he was also a business when he climbed in the cockpit. He's the only driver in Talladega history to win three straight spring 500-mile events, uh, 1972 through 1974. He helped set the national standard as one of the best drivers ever, and while doing that, made drivers around him better. Being a member of the NASCAR Hall of Fame, as well as the International Motorsports Hall of Fame, 
even which is right outside of turn four here in Talladega, shows you how successful and respected he was. He would he would like to express our deepest condolences to the part to the Pearson family. That's from Grant Lynch. And Stephen, you know, like you and I talked about, uh, I got some of his stats here. He, uh, you probably went over some of this. He was three-time NASCAR champion, 1966, 68, and 69. He won 105. What is now the Monster Energy Cup Series, second all-time, like you said, competing in 574 events. He had an 18.29 win percentage. 43 of his wins came during 72 and 79, driving for the famed Wood Brothers and the number 21 Mercury. He won 11 of 18 races in 1973, and he also, uh, I did not know this stat either, NASCAR Triple Crown winner in 1976, winning three of NASCAR four jewels events and you know i'll let you explain some of them uh some of the jewel events he was nicknamed the silver fox for his smooth calculated race moves that produce wins like i said his nascar hall of famer does in 2011 and international motorsports hall of famer uh here in talladega in 1993 and some of his stats at talladega too uh the only driver to capture three straight wins in spring cup race i think i mentioned that the three runner up finish including his last which came in the summer of 1979 here at Tyler. So he was summoned in the number two car for an injured rookie, catch this, named Dale Earnhardt. Competed at Talladega's 2.66-mile venue 1970 through 1985 with 11 top five finishes, three poles, and swept both the 74 and spring races here in 74 and 1980. Stephen, there's so many stats that you and I can talk about. There's so many track promoters, track presidents that we could – read their statements, but I just want to get some of that out there before we go on to some of our next stuff, and if you have any last thoughts on David, we'll talk about that. Yeah, you know, they, they, I think the stats speak for themselves. They speak for the point that he, um, he, he, uh, he, he arguably deserves his rightful place in the sport. He's been put into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. He's in multiple Hall of Fames. Um, and, and, you know, for him, we've talked about drivers getting back to drivers that were like Petty, Pearson, Yarborough, um, and, and people remember those days. There's still people within the sport that remember those days. And, and there's, well, sometimes you've got to look ahead. Sometimes you've got to look backwards in, into your past. And I think drivers like that, are what could, you know, turn the attention back to this sport. And, you know, Richard Petty's not getting in a race car again. Bobby and Dolly Allison aren't going to get in a race car again. But overall, um, how they handled this sport, how they were more of a, you know, kind of Dale Earnhardt Sr., he was that blue-collar every man. Uh, went to work all week long, went and raced around the dirt tracks in North and South Carolina, uh, worked his way up into the sport. Uh, you know, these were these were people that, you know, these were people that you, that fans could relate to. Um, and I think, um, you know, sometimes we've lost a little bit of that and, and we're reminded of these times or we're reminded of the fact of, uh, of, of how race car drivers and sport were uh, more generally uh, um, 
accepted by the fans because they could relate to them. And, and while fans today relate to the current drivers for, for various different reasons, um, one of the lost arts is, you know, that driver that, you know, worked in the, you know, the backyard mechanic and run around the racetracks and did what they had to do to, to, to make it to the next race and, you know, get their big shot out there. And the, their story is just so compelling that, that you know, the, the guy working in the mechanic shop down the road from, you know, Darlington Raceway or Talladega, still, well, I, I can relate to that. You know, I, I work on an old car at the, old, at the house. I may not race, but I got an old car I'm working on. This guy's going out here, and he's, uh, he, he, he's, he's, he's doing things that I wish I could do, and that's the relatable factor sometimes that we were reminded of when greats of the sport unfortunately pass away. You're exactly right, brother. It takes a, takes a special individual to do what these race car drivers do now and also back in the day. And, um, but, uh, Stephen, uh, let me let anybody know the number to call in is 215-383-3681. I'm Tim Spain alongside of SpeedwayDigest.com's Mr. Stephen Wilson. He's right outside of Richmond, and I'm just south of this 2.66-mile monster we call Talladega Super Speedway. And, Stephen, I want to, uh, for you and I, AM, and everybody at uh, the pit stop, uh, Speedway Digest, uh, Rowdy Maglite, uh, Thursday Night Thunder, there, that's, everybody does a show here on the uh, network. Uh, we all want to send our thoughts and prayers to the uh, to the family of David Pearson. And, uh, David, if you listen, thanks for all the memories, brother. It was a hell of a damn ride. And we're going to take a little short break, Stephen, and we'll be right back. Uh, like I said, I'm Tim in Spain. He's uh, Stephen Wilson. We'll be right back from Talladega, Alabama. I'm a mama's boy, I'm a fist fight Kind of county line, kind of cold beer Little hat down, little John Deere I kind of give a damn, I kind of don't care You see the girl standing right there She loves a small town boy like me She's my ride or die, baby She's my cool, she's my crazy She's my laid back in the front seat She's my with me
I'm a ride or die, baby, I'm a cool, I'm a crazy, I'm a laid back in the front seat. I'm so with you to the end, girl, I'm turning up the tear, girl. She can have anybody that she wants to be, anywhere she wants to be. She loves a small town boy like me. She's my ride or die, baby, she's my cool, she's my crazy, she's my laid back in the front seat. She's my with me to the end, girl, I'm turning up the happens once a year, and it only happens at Homestead Miami Speedway. The world will be watching as dreams are made, hopes are crossed, and championships earned. It's Ford Championship Weekend, November 16th to the 18th. Three days of fun for the whole family with live music, tailgating, go-kart racing, and so much more. Plus, it's the only place to witness the crowning of three NASCAR champions. Call 866-409-RACE or go to homesteadmiamispeedway.com for tickets. This is Spencer Boyd, driver of the number 76 Grunt Style Chevy Camaro, and listen to the Pit Stop with Tim Despain. We're back live from Dagan Nation. I'm Tim Despain, alongside SpeedwayDigest.com, Mr. Stephen Wilson. Uh, again, the number to call in is 215-383-3681. Uh, Stephen uh, sat down and interviewed uh, Matt Beecher, uh, President of Homestead Miami Speedway today. Stephen, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, I was with uh, Matt Beecher earlier today. Unfortunately, uh, some of the audio, it, it decided that it was not going to play very nice at the end of it. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, he, he, <laughs> he had technical issues sometimes. And I, I, I didn't want to play like, you know, a half an interview and it just drop off and just, you know, nobody kind of really understands what's going on. So, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about what, what they have going on down there this weekend. He uh, he has a good feeling on Joe Logano. He thinks that uh, he's pretty tough, that track owes him one uh, a couple of years ago. Um, you know, the, he, he had an incident a couple of years ago and uh, just thinks that, you know, out of the four, he's, he, he's confident in the fact that they've, Penske has run well at Homestead Miami Speedway and that to look out for, for Joey Logano. But that doesn't mean that Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, and Martin Truex Jr., um, you know, as he said, are typically running top six, uh, top four, top six throughout a majority of the race. But, you know, the, it'll be pretty competitive regardless of the fact. And, you know, it's uh, you know you can see a surprise winner in there. May or may not be with uh, – a uh, playoff driver, a championship playoff driver, but you know we we've seen that in the past at at Homestead Miami Speedway. We saw that last year with Cole Custer. Uh, he uh, lost out in Phoenix, um, making the cut to to uh, the final four, and then comes to uh, to Homestead and wins that race as a non-playoff driver. Well, this year he's got a little bit of redemption behind him. He uh, he's in the he's in the playoff. He's the full one of the four drivers along Christopher Bell in. in uh, 
you know, uh, that that's going to compete for the Xfinity Series, and uh, you know, with Johnny Sauter and uh, you know uh, Justin Haley, GMS Racing out there is going to be, you know, it'll be a, a Chevy versus Toyota battle, and in, in that series, it's going to be a Chevy versus Toyota in uh, in the Xfinity Series. That's going to be Ford versus. Toyota in in Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series, so uh, all the brands are represented there. Uh, I know Ford probably like to get into Victory Lane and win a championship in all three three, but uh, uh, you know they they they've got a chance in two out of three, and they've been coming down there for 17 years, crowning champions. So uh, um, you know there's a lot of history behind this behind this. Um, they one of the things that he did impress is is that. Uh, anybody that's in the area, anybody that's interested, um, they've got tickets still available by all three days, and you actually get to go down on the racetrack. They open up the gates um, before uh, before they set the stage up, and uh, you can go down there and you can celebrate with the champion at the end of uh, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night down there. Just got by all three days, and uh, you get to go down on the racetrack, stand right there beside the race cars, and. Uh, uh, um, celebrate right at the stage uh, for the NASCAR champion in the respective series down there. So, uh, you know, that's something exciting that they have going on. As well. They also have uh, uh, concerts, go-kart racing, uh, just tons of things going on around there throughout the race weekend. And, uh, you know, for Homestead Miami Speedway, um, 17 years, they've been crowning champions down there. And uh, it's it's an economical and it's a, uh, it's a boost to the economy down there as well as a boost to the surrounding areas uh, for race fans coming in and race fans going out to entertainment and food and things like that. So uh, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting that, that we're going to go to South Florida and we're going to continue to go there for the foreseeable future with Ford expanding their partnership for, you know, extending that out for several more years. So uh, you know, we, we've got a, I think, uh, I think that's a good place to, to, uh, crown a champion or crown three champions at the end of the NASCAR season. Sounds good, brother. And uh, to let our listeners know, what you just talked about, Steve, that's a really good deal there. I mean, you know, you can go on, uh, you can go to homesteadmamiespeedway.com there. uh, Matt and our good friend Neil, which is public relations there at Homestead Miami Speedway, they do a great job down there. So, I mean, it's that time of year when it's cold up here where you and I are. Catch a flight, go to South Miami, go down to the Keys. You'll be in the upper 70s and 80s. I think we're going to get away from all of this cold and wet weather. But just to add to uh, your statement there, uh, I'm, I'm sure you got the message from Homestead Miami Speedway. Uh, their uh, Zoo Miami Wildlife prognosticator. Uh, did you see who he picked to win the Ford EcoBoost 400? And I think he's been pretty Johnny on the spot, hasn't he, brother? I have not. I, did, I I missed out on that. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. But uh, I know last year they had a bird out there, uh, if I remember correctly, at Pick Truex. So uh, what did they get? Like a snake this year or something? Well, I'm I'm looking at the PR I got from uh, Neil at Homestead, and it uh, I've got it on my uh, on my site, which uh, to let everybody know, Stephen manages my site. Thank you very much for doing all that. The uh, pitchstartradio.net. Check it out. Stephen does a great job for handling my site. But it is it looks like a little weasel. And uh, fans, if you go on there and look, and it's not a weasel, don't correct me. But he is standing on a stump with the uh, Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series Cup, and it's got the 18 in front of it, Steve. And 
I I don't know what their percentage is, but when they do this little Zoo Miami deal, I think that's pretty neat. It's sort of like Groundhog Day. You know, you come out, the whatever that Groundhog's name is, I can't think of his name. You know, he he comes out and predicts, okay, we're going to have six more weeks of winter or we're going to, uh, or we're going to have early spring or something like that. I think that's a good deal down there. But, yeah, they are the little weasel – he looks like he's got a little collar on him, a little strap. There's a zoo guy there with him. And, of course, you know, the pictures around all the uh, the media folks there. Uh, I don't see Miami Speedway photo there, but it, he's picking 18, bro. Well, I mean, he's he's won down there before. Um, I don't think that, you know, if, if he wins, I don't think it'll be a, a, a great surprise, but – uh, all four of them down there ha- have an opportunity to win, so we'll uh, we'll have to see how it goes at the end of the day. You got that right, brother. And uh, again, uh, we're we we got the phone lines open. Uh, Stephen, like I said, Stephen sat down with Matt Beecher there at uh, Homestead Miami Speedway. And uh, Stephen, let's take a little quick break. We'll come back. We haven't really talked about this past weekend's events there at Homestead Miami Speedway. So let's take a little quick break, and we'll let me find. Let's take a little quick break, and we'll. Well, I tell you what, let's go ahead and talk about this, Stephen. Before we take a break, go ahead. And I got some uh, media center audio from uh, ISM Raceway there with uh, Snoka Rookie of the Year William Byron and uh, the uh, two of the two of the two of the Chase Four contenders there, or the play playoff four. I, I, I still got that Chase stuck in my head. Uh, Kevin Harvick and. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. So let's see, uh, Stephen, but before we play this, I want to ask you the question. You and I were texting back and forth a little bit. Kevin Harvick had that tire cut down. And when he cut that tire down, I thought, oh, Lord, that's the end of his championship run. But uh, he come back, brother. He come back, he made it, and he's going to Homestead to run for a championship. I mean, he came over a lot of adversity that day. He was, he was um, at one point, he was laps down. Uh, he had the tire go down while leading the event. Um, but Harvick, if you remember correctly, back in 2015, um, he had to come into Homestead, I mean, sorry, uh, ISM Raceway and win that event to, to get in. And a lot of people thought that he would be the winner this past weekend, but um, uh, uh, he, he battled back from a lot of adversity and, and was able to make up the ground using uh, a pitch strategy and using uh, um, you know, the, the, the rest of the event to to make that up and uh, go out there and win that event. I mean, sorry, not win the event, but uh, uh, place high enough so that he could go to Olmstead. And I think that just shows that, um, you know, the determination of that team, uh, what they have done to get there and what they're continuing to do uh, to make sure that they, um, uh, you know, they they're they're in contention. I think Stuart House Racing as a whole and Ford as a whole are pretty tough at this point. And going into 
um, you know, Homestead this weekend. I, I just think it was just pretty amazing, and I think a lot of people have to look at that and say, well, that's pretty amazing that a driver that, that was docked so many points, he was three points uh, ahead of the cut line. By that time, he cut the tire and got back out. He lapsed down. Um you know, he, uh, he 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 and that team did everything they had to do um, to get to Miami. Exactly. And, Stephen, just to let you know, your little buddy that you met when you come down and stay with us, we, we all went to town, and Mr. Sharpie is in, somehow he's got in the man cable, me, and he's aggravating me. But, uh, anyway, I just want to let you know that. Stephen, let's listen to uh, to what uh, William Byron, Sonoka Rookie of the Year, and the two championship four contenders, Harvard Truex, had to say after the race at ISM Raceway in Phoenix, Arizona. All right, if I could have your attention in the media center, we're now joined by our championship four driver contender, Kevin Harvick, driver of the number four, Bush Light Ford, and our Sonoka Rookie of the Year, William Byron, driver of the number 24, Hertz Chevrolet. If you have a question, please raise your hand. We'll get you a wireless mic. We'll start here and work our way over. Uh, Justin Schuler, Speedway Media. Uh, William, you said uh, about, I think it was last week or the week before, that this was one of the seasons that you wouldn't wish this on anyone else, but yet you still won uh, Rookie of the Year. Um, any any kind of thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, we just we haven't had uh, very good runs, uh, to be honest, the whole year. But um, this run, we kind of went a completely different direction with what we were doing and seemed to pay off and, you know, just kind of had a solid weekend other than qualifying. So I uh, got some damage there, um, but we were able to come back, I guess, and finish ninth. So that's decent and go into Homestead next week. We're going to ask to Jeff and then to Bob. Jeff Gluck from JeffGluck.com. Kevin, a comeback today that saved your season. Where would you rank this? And did you think that you had a chance when uh, everything had gone wrong in that instant? Um, I never really thought about it like that. I just thought about getting it. My, my main job was to try to get it back to the pits without crashing it into the wall or having a tire blow out and rip the fenders off. I felt it go down going into, into turn one and, and, you know, just kind of tried to nurse it into, into turn three and, and back around. So, um, I couldn't get down over there and, you know, I just drug everything, uh, all the way around and drug the splitter off. And so, it never really handled as good after that, but we've made some adjustments to our car and got ourselves back in contention there in, in the second stage, staying out, and, and it worked out okay. And we're also joined by Martin Truex Jr., driver of the 78 Auto Owners Insurance Toyota. Go ahead, Bob. Bob Pock for CSPN. Kevin, what would you describe your emotion as relief, excited, the fact that you get to go vie for a title? or Just another have... day, Bob. <laughs> it's not just another day. It was a day where you could have been knocked out of the championship you don't you don't you don't do anything different i would prepare no different next week if i was out as i would if i was in so um that's what i always tell you guys win or lose it's it's the same same prep every week do we have any questions for william byron what to matt matt weaver without a week for william uh the season's not over yet, obviously, but what are the things that in this rookie year that you feel the most proud of, even though the numbers don't necessarily show it as being something that's great? Yeah, I mean, it's, I'd say just um, kind of how we've grown or how I've grown. Um, you know, there's been a lot of things to, to learn, so just how I've been 
improve those things or how people have helped me improve those things. And, um, you know, looking forward to next year, what we have there. And I think probably some of the decent runs that we've had, um, you know, I look at the road courses went pretty well for us. And then uh, some of the short track races went well. So probably look at that stuff and be proud of that. Do we have any other questions for William? All right. Well, thanks for joining us, William. Congratulations. All right. We'll go to Dustin and work our way over to Wolfgang and Bob. Dustin Long, NBC Sports. Kevin, what what did you feel like was your biggest challenge today then with, with everything that you kind of had to go through? A flat tire. Just, you know, went leading the stage there. Stage, you know, coming to the white and, and tire goes flat. So, you know, that just put us behind and drug the front of the car off and, and the splitter and everything up front was, was drug off. And it just, you know, that was that was really the, the turning point in our day to, you know, to, um, you know, not have everything go right. But, I mean, we got ourselves back in, in contention there. And, you know, we're going in the right direction and, and wound up just finding a spot at the end to, to just survive there and, and, and get to the finish. Okay. A question to Martin. Uh, um, especially the second part of the race was very chaotic. How did you manage to stay, stay out of all this, this chaos and not involved in all these problems? Right place, right time, a few of them. Um, that that cra big crash off the of turn two on that restart um, on the back stretch was, I mean, it was close. There was cars and smoke everywhere. I just basically stopped going into turn three and uh, was lucky to find a hole to get through. So um, just a little bit of good fortune, a little bit of the right place, right time. And, you know, the rest of the day we just, uh, you know, we battled and got what we could out of the car and uh, did what we had to. Bob Pockers, ESPN, a couple more for you, Kevin. First off, do you know, Goodyear said it was likely a puncture, but they weren't sure. Do you have any idea what caused the? I don't. Okay. And on the restart with uh, Kyle leading and Eric second and you third, did you feel your car was good enough that you had a chance to win, or did you feel like your championship bid was more on how Almarola was going to run? Um, I just needed to get my car set on the bottom and, and try to get – Everything so that I could get a good exit off the corner, and that was that was really all I was worried about. Okay. Uh, another question, follow up from Bob uh, Kevin, was his uh, tire went down. You said already when I understood it correctly, the splitter was damaged or broken or whatever. Uh, did you not was fearing when this tire went down, you had the tire um, uh, problem that maybe some more serious damage could be done to the suspension, for example? Um, you, you know, in that instance, you just hope that the sway bar stays connected, and you know that that's that's really the biggest worry. So I hadn't I hadn't looked under the car and you know seen seen how bad it it drug it all off, but you know it was good enough to to keep going. So that was and the sway bar was still hooked up, so that was the main thing. Jerry, Jerry Jordan, kicking the tires. Net and PRN, Martin. Um, you know, with everything that's happened with you this uh, season, defending your championship, uh, what does that mean to you? Uh, with the changes that have happened? Well, it's, uh, you know, it's exciting for us, I think, to be in this position again. Um, you know, this is our third trip to Homestead in four years, which I think is, uh, you know, something we're all really proud of as a group. And um, obviously, as going to be our last race together as a complete group, um, you know, it's definitely going to be a, a special weekend. And you know, all we can do is uh, is prepare the best we can and do the same thing that, uh, you know, we've done down there before and just try our best. That's all you can do at the end of the day. So uh, we've got a great team. It's been, uh, you know, an amazing, amazing ride together, and hopefully we can get down there next week and, uh, 
you know, make our owners proud and just up our potential. We'll go up front to Lee. My question's for Martin. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, Lee Spencer Racing Reference. Can you just tell us a little bit? I know you said it before about what, what Barney means to you, but seeing him out there today, it, it's almost bittersweet, you know, talking to him with everything he's put into the organization and to see it come from, you know, basically nothing to a championship caliber team. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, it's just really still kind of sinking in. I think for most of us, you know, when you're you're you know in this doing this job and you're so focused on what you're doing, you kind of really just block out everything in the outside world. I mean, you just get so focused in and and you know, so um, just it, it's you know we understand it's here. It's our next. It's our last week, but uh, you know, it, it's cool that we're going to Homestead with a chance um, to win it in his last race. And you know, I, I said out there on pit road that it's. Um, my five years there has been amazing. He's been a great guy to work for. Um, just thinking about all the people that he's given opportunities to over the years and, and how, you know, some of those guys started in Colorado 12, 13 years ago. And uh, just a special group. It's a, It's been a special time. It's been a lot of fun. And um, he's just been a great guy to work for. Um, yeah, I think Cole and the guys will tell you that he's he's given them everything they needed to be the best they can be and, and the same for me. So that's been fun, and hopefully, uh, hopefully we can reward him next week. Oh, there's no question that it turned, you know, going there um, was the best thing I ever did. Uh, the first year you you thought I, I, I thought I was probably about to get fired. <laughs> uh, and then and then we turned it around. So, uh, yeah, definitely been a, an exciting five years for sure. Go ahead. Martin, and with the last stage having two red flags and multiple cautions, now you've been to Homestead many times, but is that as difficult of a final stage at Phoenix as you can remember, even if you weren't necessarily involved, just to have to get through all that? Um, not really. I mean, I, I, it was pretty straightforward for us. I mean, it, by that point, we were in pretty good shape. So, uh, you know, we were just trying not to not to put ourselves in too bad of a spot and uh, just trying to get to the end. Dustin? Dustin Long, NBC Sports. Kevin, what was it like to to work with Tony in this in this way since you guys hadn't done that before? Yeah, really. You know, the, the biggest thing that Tony brings is just a ton of experience. <clears throat> Obviously, a familiar face to um, the NASCAR officials, and he's been with Stuart Haas for for a long time and worked with all those guys and works with everybody in the shop. So, um, you know, he's he's very calm sitting up on on the pit box unless he's winning the Daytona 500. Um, <laughs> Yeah, then he, then he gives us uh, something that we all remember. But, you know, for the most part on the radio, he was just dead calm all weekend and, and just, you know, pretty pretty laid back with, with everything, and, and everybody just did their job. So, you know, the thing you got to remember is those guys have all been together for, for five years, and, you know, there's uh, the Internet works well from, from Phoenix to North Carolina as well, too. So, Are there any other questions? Uh, Brian. I'll go over to the side. Kevin, Greg Moore, um, Arizona Republic. I'm curious why you have uh, such success out here in Phoenix. Well, you know, this has just been a, a great racetrack for us through the years, um, really, in everything that, that we've that we've ever raced. It's just a place that, that I like coming to. Um, you know, I've been coming here since the mid-'80s, late-'80s, uh, you know, to watch races and started racing here in the mid-'90s. And, you know, so even even since they've, they've changed the track, it's just been a place that I feel like I know well and, and – enjoyed racing in front of these fans and, and on these types of tracks. So just a 
a good place for us. Are there any final questions? All right. Thanks for joining us, gentlemen. Stephen, that was Sunoco Rookie of the Year, William Byron there, and uh, two of the uh, championship four, Kevin Harvick and Martin Truex Jr. there in the Mini Center at ISM Raceway after this past Sunday's event there out there in uh, in the things. And you and I, we talked a lot about about that tire earlier before we played this audio about Kevin. And uh, Kevin said it, that, it, that it looked like it cut it down and it did actually sort of grind down the uh, splitter. And you and I, we were watching the uh, the race there on uh, – on NBC Sports, and we were wondering about that, too. But going to Martin Truex Jr., uh, Stephen, he is uh, – Barney Visser had announced earlier this year uh, that he was shutting the doors there at Furniture Row Racing. And Martin Truex Jr. is going to take the reins of the number 19 there at Joe Gibbs Racing. And he's taking Cole Pern with him. And from what I gather, this is my thoughts – they're gearing up to be another Stuart Haas race. Stuart Haas racing has come out of the uh, come out of the come out of the stable uh, with uh, Kevin Harvick, Clint Boyer, uh, Kurt Busch. We don't know where Kurt, Kurt Busch is possibly going to the one car chip connection. There's so much I'm rattling off in my in my brain right now. But and with Hendrick Motorsports, there they've got William Byron, uh, Chase Elliott, which barely missed the uh, playoff deal. There's so much that's in my mind I'm trying to rattle off right now. I, to listeners, if I feel like I'm stepping on my toes, I probably am. But, Stephen, uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, like I said, are, they're getting Copern and Mark Church Jr. in the 19 car, 19 Toyota there. Uh, that's a really big move, Stephen. Can I get your – can you talk a little bit about that move there and get your thoughts on that one, brother? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, this is, this is something that um, – We've we've known for a while. We've known that the fact that they are he was going to move over there and that number nineteen car would be vacated by Daniel Suarez, Cole Pern again. They you know so they they Joe Gibbs Racing wanted the knowledge that Furniture Road Racing possessed, and I, I guess you could argue um, you know this this was self inflicted uh, or Joe Gibbs Racing is self-inflicting uh, uh, furniture racing to close the doors uh, based on, um, you know, information sharing and how they were outperforming the team, even though that they were building the cars for them. Um, there, there was, you know, they was estimated between 2 to $3 million a year is what that, uh, what that relationship was worth to, to Joe Gibbs Racing. But, this year and after well after they won the championship and negotiations started on uh, an extension uh Jogo's racing was looking for 10 to 12 million dollars you know they were effectively uh, uh quadrupling um i think it was like 9 to 12 million dollars or something like that is what's been put out there um to to uh continue building their cars and information sharing and engineering support and things like that so you know, these are self-inflicted. Joe Gibbs Racing, for all intents and purposes, closed the doors on furniture for racing because it's an un, un it, it's no longer a sustainable uh, venture when you are paying triple to quadruple what you were the year before, and you know yearly income for some of these teams 
are probably, you know, between 20 and $30 million. And if you have to pay a third of it just for somebody to build the cars and engineering support, um, you know, it's no longer a sustainable venture, unfortunately. And uh, while Barney Visser um, has a lot of, you know, you know, he has a uh, he has enough money and he has a large enough business to sustain it on his own, but he just wasn't interested. He did that for quite some time, and you know, it become to a point that you have to make the decision, and you know, business you know dictated the fact that they had to close the doors. Um, but you know, Joe Gibbs Racing, they wanted that knowledge, and now they've got that knowledge. How that's going to translate um, over to uh, Denny Hamlin, um, I don't know. It, it, that remains to be seen how much we see the information sharing. Um, you know, Kyle Busch isn't having any problems over there. Obviously, he's in championship four. He's winning, you know, he won seven, eight races this year. Um, you know, but, but, but Denny Hamlin, he struggled. Eric Jones has struggled. And uh, uh, Daniel Suarez during his tenure has struggled. So I think, you know, that, that Joe Goes Racing is looking for more knowledge to be more competitive and uh, all across their entire platform. And now they've got that, um, you know, in Cole Pern and uh, Martin Truex Jr. And, Stephen, uh, if I can compare apples to oranges, uh, the uh, – the uh, single car team there with Alan Cole Wicked that won the championship. Now you have uh, Martin Truex Jr. and Barney Visser, a single car team that won the championship. Do you think that this is a part of our own doing as far as these multi-car teams that has sort of gathered up your uh, unsung heroes that has been a single car team and won championships, Stephen? It if that sounds right. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think, you know, we, we've seen consolidation and we've seen teams build themselves to, to this level that um, multi-car teams are, are, are a thing of what we have to deal with today. Uh, we have to deal with engineering support that comes from, uh, of these larger teams like Hendrick or uh, Joe Gibbs Racing or Stuart Haas Racing, and you know they seem to be the three that are holding the banner for each of the, the their respective manufacturers, and they pass this knowledge or they're building cars for others. Um, you know it's uh, you know it, it, it's a reason. There's a reason why uh, Tony Stewart and Stuart Haas Racing switched from Chevrolet to Ford. It's pretty much the same predicament in which um, Barney Visser was faced with. Uh, Hendrick Motorsports was supplying the engines. They were building the cars for them, and uh, they were out running Hendrick Motorsports. And, you know, when, when teams start to see that another team has a competitive advantage, uh, they either want in on that information or they're going to make you pay um, to to continue providing services for them, and, and Stuart Haas Racing switched over to Ford as a manufacturer, started building their own cars in house, engines being provided by uh, Roush Ace Engines. But you know, it's again, it, it's a predicament that these teams are faced with all the time. You look at uh, Levine Family Racing. You know, they've they've been underneath the uh, Chevrolet banner for a couple of years. Uh, Rich Petty Motorsports, they're, they're under the Chevrolet banner now with support from uh, Richard Childress Racing. 
Uh, Levon Family Racing is now moving their support over to Toyota with help from Joe Gibbs Racing. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, these teams have, uh, uh, you know, with, with the way the sport is today, they've consolidated themselves down to a point that there's there's a banner team for each manufacturer and everybody else either falls in line or, or they end up at the back of the pack, unfortunately. And Stephen, but uh, we got a lot to talk about before we jump out of here. But uh, we're going to jump out of going to jump out of here shortly. Uh, I, I want to get your take on. Uh, you know, we've been talking about all year the big three: uh, Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, and we were wondering who was going to step up and be that number four guy, which was Joe Logano, which punched his ticket to the championship deal there at Homestead this coming weekend with his win there at Martinsville Speedway. Stephen, uh, let me get your take on uh, the big three. Do we see any issues coming this weekend at Homestead? Uh, does Joe Logano get a uh, Cinderella story? What do you think we're looking at going in this weekend at Homestead for the championship forward Homestead Miami weekend? Not only, I don't want to throw you out there and let you have to talk about a bunch of stuff, but not only for the Monster Energy Cup Series deal, but the uh, – the Xfinity stuff, we've got Cole Custer, we've got uh, uh, Daniel Hemrick, my good friend Daniel Hemrick there, uh, the guys in the trucks. There's so much going on, but I want to focus on the cup, if I can, brother. The fourth guy that we have all been talking about, you and I, Sirius XM Radio, we've all been wondering where that fourth guy was going to come from, and that fourth guy coming come in the shape and form of Joe Logano. Do we think we need to be concerned about Joe Logano at Homestead Bamex Speedway? I think you're going to be um, by all of them, to be honest with you. I don't think um, – I, 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 don't, I don't honestly think that any of them are going to be able to finish second and win the championship. Uh, we may have some surprises in the Xfinity or trucks with that happening, but I think in the Cup Series you've got no choice uh, to win this event. Um, and go to win the championship. We've seen in the last couple of years, Jim Johnson did it, Kyle Busch has done it, Kevin Harvick has done it, Martin Truex did it last year. If you're not going to win the race, you're not going to win the championship. Um, but I think there's much more leeway with the with with the drivers, both in the Xfinity and, and the Truck Series, where a second-place finish would probably be enough to solidify your championship. So there could be some surprises. I think, you know, there's some strong teams that are still out there. Um, I think Clint Boyer in the Cup Series, that they're pretty strong. Um, they just – they've won two races, and I just think they've been hit by some bad luck. They got hit by some bad luck this past weekend at Phoenix. Um, Martin Truex Jr. has not been – as competitive on these 1.5-mile tracks since he won months ago. And we've seen French Row Racing and Cole Pern be able to just work these 1.5-mile tracks to their advantage, but they haven't this year. They've they've been down, and it's been months since they won uh, an event on one of these uh, tracks. Could they come back this weekend and win it? Yeah, sure. I think they have an opportunity to do it, but I just think looking over the last couple of weeks and through the through the uh, uh, the chase, or I'm sorry, the playoffs, that um, he's just going to have a tough time. And 
that could be to somebody else's advantage, like uh, Kevin Harvick or Joey Logano. So I don't know. There's a lot of things that can happen. Um, I just know that whoever crosses that finish line first is going to be the champion. I would definitely agree, brother. And Stephen, I'm going to read off. Uh, I know you have the uh, schedule also. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to read off Friday. I'll let you have Saturday and Sunday. Uh, all times are Eastern. Friday, November 16th. Camper Royal Truck Series first practices at 8:35 a.m., 9:25 a.m. No TV, no radio. Camper Royal Truck Series final practices at 10:05 a.m. to 10:55 a.m. It's Friday, November 16th. No radio, no TV. And then the Marsh Energy Cup Series, first practice is at 1 p.m. to 2.20 p.m. MRN has your radio. NBCSN has your TV. And then after that, the Xfinity Series, first practice, 2.35 p.m. to 3.25 p.m. NBCSN has your TV. And after that, Camper Royal Truck Series qualifying, 3.45 p.m. Eastern Time. Fox Sports 1 has your TV. After that, Xfinity Series final practice, 5.05 p.m. to 5.55 p.m. NBC at San Andrew TV. Whew, let me breathe, brother. Monster Energy Cup Series qualifying is going to be at 6 p.m. Friday, November the 16th Eastern Time. MRN has your radio. NBC at San Andrew TV. Then the radio pre-race, 7.30 p.m. MRN. TV pre-race, 7.30 p.m. Fox Sports 1 and Camping World Truck Series. Ford EcoBoost 200. Live from Miami Homestead Speedway will be at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. MRN has your radio and Fox Sports 1 has your TV. Stephen, let everybody know what we got going on Saturday and Sunday, bro. Oh, Lord, a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> um, let's see, NASCAR Xfinity Series qualifying 1235 out there. Uh, 330 Xfinity Series 40 could lose 300, 200 laps, 300 miles for those guys. Then on uh, NBCSN has the race for your championship in Xfinity Series there. Uh, Sunday afternoon, uh, Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series racing 2.30 on NBC. Yep, that's right. It's going to be on television for everybody to watch. Uh, 267 laps, 400.5 miles for the Ford 400. The crown, our 2018 NASCAR uh, champion in the Cup Series. Hey, man, brother. And to let everybody know, Stephen Wilson there at Speedway Digest. Uh, myself and my darling wife Suzanne here at Pit Stop Radio LLC. We will be making the trek down for Ford Championship weekend. We are scheduled to do a live show from the track. I want to thank Neil and Matt for allowing us to do that. Uh, time to be announced sometime Friday when I get everything worked out because we can't infringe on the TV stuff. And Stephen, uh, I know you're flying down earlier than I am, but uh, if you get there, save me a place at the buffet. Where are we going to eat, brother? All right. Stephen, let everybody know where you follow you at on social media, brother, and your website. You got the floor. Uh, you can follow us on at on Twitter at Speedway Digest and SpeedwayDigest.com. Stephen, I want to thank you very much. It's been a long year, brother. Thank you very much. Uh, we've been to a lot of racetracks and look forward to going to a lot of tra- racetrack next year. But I want to, like again, I want to thank uh, Matt and uh, Neil for allowing you and I and Suzanne. I know AM can't make it. We're gonna come. We're gonna go down there to sunny Southern Florida and uh, let everybody know what's going on down there. But Stephen, thanks again. And uh, if I don't talk to you before 
Thursday. I'll see you in Miami Homestead, Peewee. Again, thanks for taking time out to listen, everybody. Uh, I'm Tim DeSpain, uh, alongside SpeedwayDigest.com. He's Stephen Wilson. We will talk to you sometime Friday live from Homestead, Miami Speedway. Until then, see ya.